This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Sineos Health, a fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Sineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit sineoshealth.com slash podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, a show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Shannon Jones. Today is Wednesday, January the 16th. We're talking healthcare. I'm joined in the studio via Skype by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how are you? Hi, how are you today? <laughs> it's great to be back, and, and it's going to be a packed, fun show today. We cover some topics that we haven't talked about in, uh, in a little bit. Um, and I think our, our listeners are going to love it. Yes, yes. Super excited for today's show. So we're going to be actually covering some of the bigger news stories surrounding the marijuana industry. Todd, it's been, I guess, a couple of months since we've really gone through kind of the top stories and what's happening in the industry. And there's been a lot going on over these past couple of months. What's well, really fascinating. I mean, you might think that given share prices of most marijuana uh, companies, you know, fell dramatically after the Canadian recreational market opened in mid-October. You know, the buy the rumor, sell the news, proving itself out yet again. And people might think, oh, well, you know, these stocks have just been horrible and nothing good is happening. But, you know, underneath the surface, it's business as usual. And we've got companies that are reporting big deals uh, and they could have, you know, billion dollar impacts down the road. Absolutely. And for investors that may be hurting, those that wanted to be, I guess, the first movers into this industry, uh, certainly with the marijuana industry, it is still a very young uh, industry that is budding. Excuse the pun there. Um, but, but it's growing. And so there's going to be growing pains. Um, but just like you said, Todd, it is business as usual. So talking about deals, let's start off with really uh, the more recent news. And it was actually Big news coming from the largest marijuana producer by market cap, which is Canopy Growth, and that's ticker symbol CGC for our listeners. And uh, it now appears to have a pathway to the United States. And that's really thanks to some crucial pieces of legislation that came on both the federal and state levels, Todd. Uh, I took a look this morning right now. Canopy sitting on a hefty $14 billion market cap. Shares priced at right about $41 and. $41 a share. And year to date, uh, shares are up about 54% versus the S&P up about 4.3%. So, Todd, lots of good news happening for Canopy Growth. Is it true? Is Canopy Growth coming to America? <laughs> yeah, and we're not talking about the 80s Eddie Murphy movie for anybody who's been around the block. And potentially a reboot coming for Coming to America, <laughs> which I'm super excited about. One of my favorite movies. But I apologize. I digress. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, the big news here is that Canopy Growth has long said, listen, we're not going to go do business in the U.S. And that's because it's, you know, marijuana is still cannabis, still illegal federally. And listing rules on stock exchange, Toronto and New York, say that if something's illegal federally, if there's a business illegal federally, you can't participate in it and still be on the exchange. So they have long stated, hey, we're not going to do business in the U.S. until we find a path, a legal pathway, so that we don't run afoul of federal laws. That 
they got their path. They got their path in December. Shannon, when when the U.S. passed the newest, latest farm bill, and uh, that farm bill included some really important language tied to the legalization of hemp, which, um, as people may or may not know, is a low THC uh, strain of cannabis sativa. So it's it's a strain of the same plant that marijuana comes from that does not have the same level of psychoactive um, activity, I guess, that cannabinoid THC that uh, normal traditional marijuana has. And, you know, Shannon, I'm sure you're going to dive into this a little bit more, but, you know, the Farming Act and the changes that were in the Farming Act really just opens the door up now for companies to come in and start developing cannabis-based products um, that up until now have, 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 couldn't have happened. Absolutely. And so talking about the Farm Bill a little bit more, um, and so this was the 2018 Farm Bill signed into legislation in December, uh, specifically doesn't change marijuana in terms of uh, it on a legal level, but what it does do is remove hemp. And as you so well explained, uh, hemp, very different than marijuana. There are actually a lot of differences. I think the main one that you mentioned, of course, being the levels of THC. Uh, so for hemp, you're looking at THC levels below 0.3%. Um, at marijuana, THC levels can be anywhere from like 15 up to 40% in terms of concentration level. Um, so you're talking about uh, a product that has lower levels of the psychoactive ingredient that many people think of, of the high that comes with marijuana. Um, so that now now has uh, been removed from the, it's no longer uh, scheduled, it's no longer controlled substance in the United States, opens the door wide open for all of these practical applications. Um, and so hemp has actually become a much more intriguing industry for a lot of investors, apart from marijuana, because of all the practical applications. We're talking about um, of course, the oils, clothing. Think about athletic wear. Um, you already have some companies that are have hemp um, in place of cotton into their clothing. You're talking about building materials, food products, skin creams. The list goes on and on. So this has really opened up the door a whole lot in terms of practical applications. Um, and also, too, it's interesting because hemp compared to marijuana in the court of public perception is, I think, much easier to be digested um, overall because it's not marijuana. It's not lighting up a joint. So when you talk about oils and creams and even vapes, um, in the court of public perception, people are much more willing to use these products than marijuana itself. So I think this farm bill in and of itself has really opened the door wide open here in the United States. Right. By making it an agricultural commodity now, you have farmers that will now be able to, to take advantage of all sorts of supports that are in place from the USDA to be able to, you know, dedicate more of their land back to growing hemp. And, you know, that's, that's just, you could see an explosion of hemp farming over the course of the next couple of years because, because of this change. And it's a change that a lot of people have, have been lobbying for for a long time. You know, according to the Congressional Research Service, I believe that the U.S. was the only developed nation that still listed hemp as a, uh, uh, not as a, as, a, as a crop, but as a controlled substance like this. So, you know, it, finally getting on board with, with many other company, countries, including Canada, when it comes to hemp. And, you know, opening the door now, again, for 
a, a path for canopy growth to come into the United States, um, be start developing products that contain the other cannabinoids, the chemical cannabinoids that are in hemp, specifically cannabidiol or CBD, which is known to have um, more medis- medicinal properties. That's what's actually, uh, CBD is what's behind the drug Epidiolix, which we've talked about in the show in the past, which is that uh, drug that's won approval from the FDA for use in epilepsy patients. So a lot of people, a lot of excitement around the potential to create products containing CBD, whether it be beverages or edibles or vapes or whatever. So as part of this, just backing up a second to what's, what's, why is, what's going on here with Canopy Growth, after that announcement, Canopy Growth said, hey, you know, we think that we have an, this provides us with a path we need. And then, sure enough, now we find out that they have inked a deal um, where they've received a license to process hemp in New York State, um, and they plan on investing 100 to $150 million uh, into this industrial park that will be filled with hemp-based companies. It's kind of like a, a hub of hemp innovation, if you will, Shannon. Yes, yes. Very similar to, uh, I guess, where I got my start in healthcare, Research Triangle Park in uh, North Carolina, where a lot of uh, smaller biotechs are now housed. It'll be just like that, but for hemp in New York. And just like you mentioned, Todd, it does open up the door for U.S. farmers. And not only canopy growth, but many of the other large producers, too, you'll see also benefiting from this as well. So on both the federal and state level, good news there. Um, I think... With all that's happening with Canopy, we'll have to to wait and see, even on the industry level, you know, will other states follow suit um, when it comes to Canopy producing these products, um, the CBD-based products and hemp-based products? Can they distribute across state lines? I think these will be a lot of questions to watch moving forward, but certainly is a positive on the side of Canopy growth right now. Well, you know, the other thing to consider here, too, and this is something that investors may not have really thought about is, I mean, there are CBD products on the market today, but they're sold as nutritional supplements. There's no real um, controls, if you will, over, and, and as a result, there's a lot of variability in the CBD, amount of CBD that they claim is in a package and what you, you know, when testing's done, what how much CBD is actually in there. So, you know, clearing this pathway through the USDA is going to open up all sorts of doors for companies to really get serious about making sure that developing products um, in, in using processes and practices that will allow them to consistently produce a product. So when you pick it up one week, it's going to have the same exact um, flavor, taste, content of CBD or whatever cannabinoid is in it as the, as next week or the week before. And I think that that's really, really important. It can really drive demand. Like you said, a lot of it's going to come down to how the government or how regulators treat um, these goods, will they just be limited to for sale in New York? Will you be able to sell them across state lines? My assumption will be that they'll be able to sell it across state lines. That would be great news for Canopy Growth because, Shan, right, 38% of Canopy Growth is owned by 
Constellation Brands. Constellation Brands is one of the largest beer, wine, and spirits makers in the country. Their headquarters is in New York already. They've got plenty of branding experience, distribution experience, research experience, all the things that would be necessary, if you will, to take products that are made in New York and distribute them throughout the country. Now, in New York alone, I was speaking with Matt Carnes at Greenwave Advisors the other day. He thinks that the medical and recreational New York market for, for marijuana and marijuana products could be about $2.7 billion in five years. That's still incredibly significant when you consider that last year, Canada's recreational and, and medical sales only totaled about $1.6 billion. So that state alone could generate out more total uh, market opportunity than Canada did in 2018. Yeah, very good point there. And I believe they're announcing a location for this new hemp industrial park, I believe, in the next 100 days. Um, so I'm sure a lot of eyes will be on that. And I'm sure you'll hear more announcements moving forward, too, from other marijuana companies. Uh, let's shift gears and uh, talk about the second company making headlines. And that second company was none other than Aurora Cannabis. That's ticker symbol ACB. They released their preliminary Q2 guidance last week. And Todd, with that guidance, we're finally getting a sneak peek to see what exactly is happening on the sales side post this Canadian legalization. Right. So this is their fiscal second quarter numbers, but it would be of the calendar fourth quarter results. As we already said, Canada's recreational market opened in the middle of October. So you've got a, a pretty good period of time now to get a feel for for how that market um, may move the needle for these various companies. And Aurora Cannabis is particularly important to, to watch because alongside canopy growth, they're arguably neck and neck, right, Shannon, for the biggest uh, producer in terms of production capacity and in terms of sales. And the results, while, and I'm sure we'll mention, you're going to talk about this in a second, may have fallen shy of some people's expectations. They were still pretty impressive nonetheless. According to management, sales clocked in at between 50 million and 55 million. So at least a $200 million run rate for Aurora Cannabis last quarter. And for perspective, that's up 327% year over year. And that is impressive. But still, Todd, not everyone was quite pleased with that. And uh, you alluded to it, but there were some analysts that were actually hoping to see sales much higher than that. They were really guiding, uh, or at least looking for at least about $67 million, uh, in Canadian dollars in terms of sales. And of course, you know they fell a little bit short of that. Um, but as you and I talked about before the show, there were so many factors that go into this. The first of which is the fact that, number one, the American marijuana industry is so new. I think it's hard for analysts to really get a good benchmark in terms of what should sales be. I mean, we're only looking at a couple of months worth of sales coming out of uh, the Canadian legalization. So, I mean, it's hard to set a benchmark and it's even harder to set a benchmark for a company that is, or an industry that is so new. Also too, Todd, I mean, there's supply issues going on on top of that, not necessarily the fault of Aurora, but with any new industry, you're going to have logistics and distribution issues too. We had so much demand in the first weeks when the, the recreational market opened up in Canada that you know a lot of products were, were at our stock. 
it was taking people weeks to get the products that they were ordering online, and if they went to the shelves, uh, there weren't many choices there. So I, I you know, I, I think that you you hit the nail on the head. You got to remember, people, that you know when we think about consensus estimates about big U.S. companies, you know, those are usually they can be based on you know, ten, fifteen, twenty different analysts. The marijuana market is so young and so emerging. There are not a lot of you know of the big institutions, institutional um, analysts covering this industry yet, and it's going to improve as time goes on. They'll get better at building their models, and those consensus numbers will get more useful. But for now, I think that uh, they're not quite as useful. I wouldn't put as much weight on them as I would say the consensus earnings estimates for a company like. Altria, right? Um, I, I think the thing to watch more for investors is you know, obviously the sales and growth run rates. Um, what that means for for translates into for operating margin, which we don't know yet. That wasn't released in in the preliminary figures that were were outlined, and what that could mean for eventual profitability. The other thing I would keep an eye on is how quickly companies like Aurora Cannabis are growing their production to meet all the demand that is emerging not only in Canada, but also in other markets like Germany. Um, They did provide us with a little bit of insight into that. Production capacity in November was 70,000 kilograms per year. Uh, That was the run rate. Now it's about 100,000 kilograms per year. And their expectation is that they'll reach a run rate of 150,000 kilograms which is more than a doubling from November, by the end of their first calendar quarter, so the, the third quarter of 2019. So rapid demand, the rapid production there could provide the fuel that's necessary, if you will, for even greater sales as we go forward. And I would expect that we're going to see that. I don't think that you know, 200 million run rate probably undersells what we'll be talking about in six months. Yeah, and you talked about them beefing up their production capacity, um, and we really won't see them hit peak capacity for at least another year, year and a half. So there's still some ways to go. You also talked about margins. Um, Aurora is also developing um, a series of products, like many of the others, that are just higher margin products uh, beyond just marijuana itself. So you're talking about, of course, the CBD oils, um, the vapes. Um, a number of different things that they're actually um, investing in. So I think you'll see both the top line and you'll see some some margin expansion as well. Um, but that wasn't the only thing that Aurora announced. They also um, announced an acquisition of a specialty marijuana brand named Whistler. Todd, what can you tell us about that deal? Whistler was one of the first 10, I believe, to get granted license by Health, Health Canada. Um, it's a relatively, it's a niche player. But they make high, okay, premium uh, cannabinoid-type products, uh, marijuana products. They have indoor facilities, which are typically more expensive, but you have greater control over your ability to to produce um, a a premium-type product. Uh, Their average prices are significantly higher than the average prices of, of... the marijuana that you would typically find, say, you know, on any shelf in in Canada or in, inside of a dispensary. So this is a is a important move as far as trying to differentiate their product lineup. So they maybe have products like a lot of consumer goods companies. They'll have products that are at the entry level point. They'll have products that are in for the the average person, and then they'll have these high end premium products that will most likely command um, uh, or offer. Uh, 
better margins. And I think one of the things that's interesting is that if you, you talked or alluded to how important developing value-added consumer goods could be to the profitability of these companies, because, you know, dried bud uh, is like a commodity. I mean, it's going to, you know, as we produce more and more and more, there's there's less of an opportunity for, for, um, for them to command um, uh, really high prices. You know, you could see price pressure like we saw in Colorado and Washington and some of these other states where marijuana is legal in the United States. That won't really be as big of a deal for these value-added products because, if anything, it'll help their margins because they'll have lower input costs, um, especially if they're having to you know, buying some supply from other growers. That will change a little bit with Whistler because Whistler will, because Whistler has these, these high-end strains, okay, it can command a higher price than, say, traditional dried bud would be uh, inside one of these stores. Absolutely. And they are actually um, really highlighting the fact that Whistler is the first organic certified company. So so really going after uh, that market that I think uh, we can all safely say is kind of the whole foods consumer uh, of today. But so Whistler does represent a really interesting opportunity. I think it was a $175 million deal. So it wasn't, you know, typically uh, one of those billion dollar blockbuster deals that we're looking at here. I think it was a very smart move to everything that you said, Todd. Really helps them start to differentiate because that will be key to pricing power moving forward with all of these marijuana players now here, more to come. Um, so I think that'll be a key area to watch. Um, I also think, too, moving forward with Aurora, um, just to, to level set, we will actually get uh, their Q2. Um, earnings, I believe that comes out on February the 11th. So we'll actually see exactly what they did and be able to dive into that a little bit further. But I think one of the key takeaways, Todd, is overall, this is still a new industry. Um, You'll have to give it some time to allow the industry to mature. It's going to have growing pains. And for investors out there that are sitting on stocks that maybe aren't doing that well, um, be sure to certainly keep up with the news, see what they're doing to differentiate their product lines, take a look at their margins, compare compare them to their peers, and really uh, identify and see if you're A, holding on to one that likely won't be around much longer because it really will become just another commodity like you mentioned, Todd, or one that will truly have a product line uh, that will really drive top and bottom line growth for the long term. Wise, wise words. All right. So, we'll dive into another marijuana stock headline on the other side of the break. But first, a quick word from our friends at Cineos Health. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they've created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together. Eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com slash podcast. All right, so we're back, and uh, our last major headline is actually going to take us back uh, again to December, but one I wanted to make sure that we covered, Todd. And uh, we got news of the second largest marijuana deal. This was behind, of course, the Canopy Constellations deal uh, that we heard about uh, in 2018. But that was a deal between Altria, 
It's ticker symbol M-O-N, the Kronos Group, ticker symbol C-R-O-N. Uh, Altria, it's a tobacco giant, parent company of Philip Morris, announced it would invest $1.8 billion into Kronos in exchange for a 45% stake in the Kronos Group, which has a portfolio of various marijuana investments and some joint ventures, including some smaller growers, too. Todd, what else is Altria getting in this deal? This is a massive deal. And this is something that a lot of people were were wondering and have been wondering for the better part of a year. What other com- companies, specifically tobacco companies, might be interested in uh, diversifying the portfolio away from tobacco and embracing um, the movement towards marijuana? And Altria had been rumored for a while to be kicking tires uh, as alongside some of the, the the other major alcohol companies and beverage companies. Coca-Cola was even mentioned. Uh, Altria was the one that made the big splash, though, with this deal. They get the the 45%, as you mentioned, of Kronos Group. Uh, they, they hand them Kronos Group $1.8 billion, which is huge. That's massive financial flexibility that Kronos can use now to elevate itself into the leadership of this emerging um, industry. Altria also got a warrant that will allow it to buy an additional 10%, bringing its ownership to 55%. They can do that within four years at a price of about 19 Canadian per um, Kronos Group share. So right now, at 45%, we could go to 55%. Kronos Board of Directors has expanded uh, from five to seven directors, and Altria will get to nominate four of them. So the majority the majority of the members of the board will now be uh, those who are, are have been nominated by Altria. That's that's also useful too to know as well. This is also a, a very important deal because it came only about a week before Altria announced another huge deal, and that was its twelve point eight billion dollar investment in the e-cig player Jewel. Uh, they got 35% of Juul in that deal. And those who aren't familiar with Juul, Juul has about 30% of the e-vapor market. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, right, Shannon, to see where Altria may be going with this. They may be looking at this and saying, okay, if the barriers to entry are, uh, uh, federally are falling in the United States, why wouldn't we want to have a company like Kronos that's on the cutting edge of being able to figure out how to extract not only CBD and THC, but the other hundred cannabinoids that are found in marijuana to be able to include them in vapes that could be sold throughout the United States in our, using our, our massive distribution marketing brand experience. Um, I think that that's maybe the, the end game. We're still, again, far away from that um, in, in terms of um, marijuana itself. But it wouldn't shock me if Kronos was one of the next companies to join Canopy Growth and say that they're going to use the Farm Bill Passage in December to enter the U.S. market to build, start creating um, hemp-derived CBD products 
Whether or not those end up in Jewel someday, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> totally agree on all fronts, Todd. Uh, this is such an interesting deal. I think strategically, you really see the benefit to both companies in making this deal. Um, I think what I like from Altria's perspective is really the optionality. I mean, this is a risky industry uh, to dive into. Obviously, it finally gets Altria foot in the game in the marijuana space, but with this 45% stake, which gives them the option to up that to 55% over the next four years, I love the fact that they're going to give the market and the industry a time, some time to mature. Um, I also love the fact that uh, Kronos Group is now also going to be the benefactor of really the regulatory compliance know-how that Altria brings to the table. And uh, that couldn't be more important, especially as they start to dive into U.S. markets. Altria is known as the leader in tobacco when it comes to the U.S. markets. They're getting that. In addition, they're also getting the manufacturing expertise, scale, production, all of these things, which I think are key um, to the underlying thesis with Kronos Group. Now they've got, I think, what is a match made in heaven. Um, you mentioned Juul. Um, I talk about the regulatory know-how of Altria, but I just have to say, with Juul, some investors have probably been watching the news. It's got its own fair share of uh, regulatory scrutiny from the FDA, thanks to their vapes, which apparently, um, or allegedly has been said, has been targeted toward teens with their fruity like mango flavors in these vapes. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch to see how they navigate that. But certainly is not the first time they've dealt with regulatory issues at Altria. So I like the expertise and the experience that they bring into the table. Yeah, they've been there, done that, no question. Um, you know, if you look at Juul, they make the ones that, that look like a pod. So it looks like a, a USB stick that you'd stick into your computer or whatever. Um, so they look less like traditional cigarettes. Altria had actually made a decision to stop selling its own pod um, vapes prior to the uh, entering the Juul um, arrangement or agreement as kind of a, a nod to the FDA and saying, okay, we recognize that that maybe these pods are much more attractive to younger people to smoke than, than say, something that looks like a, a, they're smoking a regular cigarette, so we'll stop manufacturing those. So the FDA has since come out after this deal was announced and said, shame on you, you know, essentially, uh, you know, for now going out and, and, and buying such a big stake in Juul um, and kind of, you know, raising again those question marks. But yeah, this is this is not new territory for Altria. Uh, and I think that um, I think that they'll be able to navigate this. And, and if they do navigate it well, um, there's obviously a tremendous amount of synergies. The other thing that we didn't mention, Shannon, is that it's kind of a backdoor way for Kronos Group to potentially get um, relationships going with Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, so they've got, I believe it's a 10% uh, stake at Anheuser-Busch. So this certainly gives Anheuser-Busch the opportunity to make a move into the cannabis-infused beverage area as well. So that'll be a really, really interesting play, and I'm sure all investor eyeballs are on that right now, Todd. Absolutely. This is going to be so much to watch. This is, uh, this is going to be a fast-growing market in 2019, and investors are going to want to be paying attention. Wise, wise words. And we will certainly keep you updated on all the latest. Um, but in terms of industry focus, that is it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit SineosHealth.com slash podcast.